0: Um, As you can see behind me, uh, this is what I'm preaching on this morning, A Friend at Midnight. Uh, We've been going through a series of Jesus' parables, um, and we've come to this one. Uh, I'm very glad that you didn't demonstrate it, otherwise it would have been uh, very unbiblical and I would have ignored you, Uh, possibly thrown a bucket of water out of the window if you had phoned me or come round to that point. Uh, So let's look at the passage before uh, we end up going way too off point. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? We've got to be very careful next Sunday of the things that you've asked, just in case people bring these instead. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I just want to pray a moment. Lord, I want to ask, would you come and would you continue to speak to us? Lord, I thank you that you have been speaking to us so far. Lord, we love hearing you speak to us. Lord, I thank you that we're your children, that we've been adopted into your family. I want to thank you for the amazing measure of your love for us. Lord, the riches of your grace. Lord, I want to thank you for all that you have done for us, Lord, and we want to continue to hear from you this morning. Would you speak to us and would you work in us now, Lord? Amen. 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 Um, I've taken a a bit of a different approach to my normal approach to to writing a sermon. Um, So please forgive me, Nigel. Uh, You can stop me preaching after this one. Uh, what I normally do is that I, I read the passage. Uh, I do exactly what Nigel taught me to do. Read the passage through several times. I pray, which is a good thing to do. Then I read what Spurgeon and Dr. Lo- uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones have said about it. Um, then I read the Bible Speaks Today commentary on the passage. Uh, and then, for good measure, I go and read a little bit of Gruden's Systematic Theology. Amen. I've got the better one than, than the baby version you've got, Jonathan. Um, and then... Uh, <laughs> I was let in on that by Tim. Um, And then what I do is that I listen to what John Piper says about the passage as well. Uh, So when I've done all of that, uh, I have about five minutes to put the sermon together. Um, And what what you tend to get is uh, a bit of a garbled thing of what other people say. Um, Today, when I was preparing, I just felt that I didn't prepare today, by the way, I did prepare for so It's not that I woke up midnight. this morning and then did it. Um, yes, friend at midnight, that's what, that's what I was doing. Um, what I felt was that actually I needed to speak more from my heart and more from my own personal journey this morning. Um, so what you've got might be a bit raw and it might not be as well constructed as normal. Um, so forgive me and bear with me. Uh, when I go over the heresy cliff, uh, please again bear with me. Um, Tim will be selling... Rotten tomatoes, three for the price of two, for you to, to throw at me later on. So just bear with me. Um, so let's just start with the context. Hopefully I'll get this right. The passage follows on from the, the famous Lord's Prayer. Um, Jesus had been asked by one of his disciples to teach them how to pray. What he did is that he taught them how to pray through, uh, through quite a structure. So he taught them to approach God as their father, um, to lift up his name and to praise him to ask for his kingdom to come on earth, to ask for him to sustain them with their daily bread for their needs, uh, to ask for his forgiveness of their sins, and to help them to forgive other people in the same way, and also to resist temptation. So the passage we're looking at this morning follows on from that. We need to have a look at the parable and and try and put it in our terms. Jesus used parables and stories to help people uh, to understand something about him, or to understand something about his, his kingdom. Um, and so that's what this is about this morning. Personally, I, I prefer stories um, to having academic stuff. Um, the best memories that I've got from school and the things that stayed with me were actually when my teachers would use stories and examples instead. Um, we had a, a huge teacher who looked a bit like Robbie Coltrane, um, and he was our chemistry teacher, and he made up a rhyme about the periodic table. Um, And when I watch Pointless, um, it helps me to to remember some of the periodic table to use during that. Um, So I I personally like stories and so on. It helps me to remember. Um, So what Jesus does here is that he sets the scene. He says that you need to watch Pointless Night, so it's brilliant. Brilliant. Brilliant (laughs) program. This is far more godly. Um, What Jesus does here is that he sets the scene and he says that you're in need of three loaves. Um, as a a guest has come and arrived at your house after a journey. You need to feed him, but you don't have anything in. And the cupboards are are completely empty, um, so you don't have anything to feed this guest. Um, What you do is that you think, ah, I can go to Tesco, it's 24 hours, Uh, but then you realise it's Saturday night and it's closed. Um, So you're stuck and you, you need to get bread urgently. So you decide you have no choice but to go to your friend's house. I'm glad it was not me. By the way, Phil. Um, So you go over to his house and you knock on his door at midnight. And because of the way in which you've gone to him, the shamelessness that you've shown of turning up at his door at midnight, he gets up out of bed and he comes to your aid. Um, And then Jesus goes on to elaborate on what this means. What I want to do is first look at the key terms. Um, I thought that was a good picture of of what a friend is. might not be able to read it at the back, I might give my life for my friend, but it better not ask me to do up a parcel. Uh, that's pretty much what I do. I can, I can do stuff for you, but if you ask me to do anything like tie your knots and stuff, I can't do things like that. Um, so what is a friend all about? Um, I looked at the Oxford Dictionary definition and it says it's a, a person who gives assistance. There might be a patron or a supporter. Uh, it's a person who is on good terms with another, a person who's not hostile. If your friends are hostile, they're not friends. Um, Or they might be a a favoured companion. They might be a person with whom you have a bond of mutual affection. And finally is uh, a contact on a social networking site. Um, That that last one can also have differing levels. Um, You may have hundreds of friends. I know that Phil's got thousands of friends on Facebook, but does he actually know those people? Phil has three friends in reality. Um, (laughs) Some people um, like to have that title. But we all actually want to have friends, don't we? Um, Friends are are crucial relationships, um, and we want to have them. Um, To have a friend is to have someone who views you with favour, someone who's faithful and stands by you. There's someone who shares your life with you. There's someone whose company you seek and you actually enjoy. Some friends you enjoy their company more than others. Um, There's someone who spurs you on, someone who encourages you. And hopefully... All of us know what a friend is like because we've got some. Um, I have a few friends, which is nice. Um, And when I look at my friendships, I remember the happy times and I also remember the bad times as well. I remember times where we stuck together when things were difficult for them or for me. Um, And actually, when I was preparing for this, I I thought back to my mates in in Coventry. Uh, My university years were kind of spent uh, living in a house with a bunch of guys from the church, and we had some brilliant times together. Uh, We used to stay up late playing on the original PlayStation. It does exist. If you go into museums, you'll find it, Aaron. Um, So we used to to do things like that together, but also we used to chat about our our dreams um, of the future, what we wanted to do, our aspirations, um, which the other people would uh, take the mickey out of and say, no, you're not going to do that. Um, But also we used to share our heartaches with each other as well. And what we did is that we prayed for each other, we encouraged each other, and we were there for each other. Um, Those friendships have remained strong, and I know that uh, if I was to call up any of those friends right now, that they would be there in an instant for me. Mm. Um, Likewise, we've enjoyed good friendships here in Wrexham. Uh, God's actually blessed us with good friends here. Uh, It was the big thing that that we felt when we first moved here was that we were leaving those friends behind. So what would God do here? Uh, And you guys can recall those times in uh, the blubbering that we did in our early 20s. Um, But friends are are people who know you and they share your adventure with you. Um, Fleur and I have been touched by the way that you've responded to us at times of need. You've been there for us. Um, One of the times that that kind of shows uh, the depth of these relationships and and what friendship is about uh, was during the early days of Judah's life. Um, Tim and Rach spent a lot of time with us during that time they really helped us out uh, you know, we just didn't have a clue what was going on and they were just there for us um, one of the times we were sat just talking with them about some of the things that Fleur um, had missed during her pregnancy she, loads of foods that she just completely went off during her pregnancy uh, and one of those was the uh, Morrison's Festival Cake uh, which you do need to go and try um, it's basically a sponge cake with uh, layer of cream and then a layer of custard uh covered in a thick layer of marzipan it's brilliant it's very good for your figure as well as you can see Um, but we we'd really missed that during her pregnancy so uh we were just sharing that with them um and then the next day we get a knock on the door and what do you think arrives Mm -hmm. Uh, a wonderful festival cake from these guys Uh, because they know us they they knew who we were Um, But then when they uh, came into our house, we were just sharing about the day that we'd had um, and that our boiler was broken that day, it had been turned off uh, for them to do some maintenance work and they couldn't turn it back on. Um, And Judah had decided to have, how can I say, uh, a bit of an overspill, shall we say, um, which had gone all over everything. Uh, And our washing machine is is a hot water filling, filling thing, so we had no hot water to do that. Um, Tim and Rachel, with, without us asking, said, uh, can we take these clothes away for you? Um, and they insisted on doing it. We were being very British and saying, no, 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 it's got poo on it. But it's actually they decided to take that away from us um, and they decided to wash it in their brand new washing machine for us. Um, that's friendship for you. That, that's what it means to have friends. Uh, they, they know your needs. They insist on helping you at times of need. Um, and what we've got is that, actually, if I was to go to a, a random stranger and to present them with that <laughs> dirty laundry, um, I think it would have been unlikely that they would have actually responded in the same way as Tim and Rachel. Uh, there was something in our relationship that we've got that they said, we'll do this for you. And we didn't have to ask. They plead, pleaded with us to take it away. I don't know what Tim uh, has got about wanting to wash things like that, but, you know, he, he wanted to do it. Um, in our parable here, the man is not approaching a stranger um, in his moments of, of need. He goes to his friends, he goes to someone who he thinks will help him. Um, what he does is that he goes to someone who, uh, who he thinks will give him assistance, someone who he's on good terms with, someone who's a favoured companion, a person who he's got a bond of mutual affection with. Um, he's not going to a Facebook friend here. When we pray, we actually come to someone who we're on good good terms with. Um, Through Jesus' death and his resurrection, we're viewed with affection by God. And although we were once enemies of God, we're now made friends of God. We're favored companions of his, and he provides us with assistance. He's our supporter. We can have confidence as we approach him. We're not coming to a stranger when we come to him. We come to a friend are in, in need, we go to him with that confidence. Um, as I was preparing this, I actually felt that there were people here this morning who don't really know what it's like to come to Jesus as your friend. Um, you actually kind of hold back and you think, I can't go to Jesus with, with my request. I can't approach him because he's distant. He's not someone I can come to. But actually, I believe that God wants to work in you this morning. He wants you to realize you can approach him as a friend. He looks at you with favor. He has done a, a great thing for you at the cross. He's won you and he views you with favor. Um, and please bear with me. I want to pray for you. If that, if that relates to you this morning, I want to pray for you at the end of this. Uh, but please listen to what I'm saying. Jesus loves you and you're approaching him this morning as one who he has favor on you. The next section is this strange word that's in my version. You might have a, a different words written there. Um, so let's look at what it means. In the footnotes, it says uh, persistence. Um, and I think that in the NIV, what's it say? Is it shameless audacity or something like that? Um, i look like to see what this means. And basically, it means that it's to be bold to the point that you don't care about what others think of you. Um, you insist on doing what you want. There's... Um, there's no social etiquette here. You don't think, "Oh, so and so is going to um, scorn me on this." Uh, what you do is that you just boldly approach them. You, boldlessly go and do boldlessly? No, boldly. Uh, you boldly go and do something. Boldly? No, boldly. You boldly go and do something. The Greek for this means outspokenness, frankness, plainness of plainness of speech that conceals nothing and passes over nothing. It carries the ideas of courage, of confidence, of boldness, of fearlessness especially in the presence of someone with a high rank. Uh, so that's the term that we've got here. What we're seeing here then is a sense where the man has gone to his friend's home in the middle of the night and approached him with an overwhelming sense of courage and determination, a fearlessness, a persistence to get what he needs. The man needs some bread in order to make his own guests feel welcome, and he's gone to the one who he thinks can help him. And it would appear from the passage that Jesus is saying that the friends may not have got up just based on the relationship, like I probably wouldn't have got up for Phil last night, um, but he gets up due to the manner in which he's been approached. So imagine the scene. Uh, This guy's at home. He's happily in his bed. Um, Back in that time, uh, the whole family slept in one room together. Uh, So he would have had his children in there as well. Uh, he would have settled them to sleep. They would have all been snoring, sleeping, having wonderful dreams. And then there's a, a loud knock at the door, which wakes everyone up. The cats is uh, screaming, and uh, the babies are crying. Uh, the dogs are barking. Uh, this serene uh, scene is actually just being changed in a moment by someone banging at the door. Uh, so this guy walks down, goes to the door, and it's a request from his friends to have some bread. There's something in in the uh, desperateness that he's got this guy to go downstairs and to meet his needs. The friend has got a need, he's got no way to resolve the need by himself, but he goes to the one who knows can change the situation. He's been affected by the situation. Um, it, it's not that he's doing this in kind of a detached way. He's not going, oh, I need some bread, I'll just go around and I'll knock at my friend's door, see if he'll help me. He's actually been affected by this. He's doing something which... Uh, perhaps his friends would take issue with later on or it might be a common uh, mocking point that he might do in the future uh, to say, do you remember that time that you woke me up in the middle of the night for three loaves of bread? Um, you know, he's, he's going to do something because he's desperate for it. It's affected his emotions. As you know, Fleur and I got kind of desperate um, of recent in terms of the situation that happened with Judah. Um, it, it got us, it really got our hearts. Uh, to see our boy suffering, we, we really struggled with that. Um, it wasn't that we kind of were detached and thought, we'll just see what happens with him. It affected us. We just felt helpless that we couldn't do anything to resolve what was going on with him. Um, he was on a long waiting list. i uh, been waiting for a couple of months to be seen. Um, he was getting worse. Every time we took him to see a GP or a doctor, they said, no, they could do, he needed to see a specialist. Um, but there was nothing that the specialist could do to fit him in. Um, drove me to the point where I actually went to the Child Health Centre and broke down in tears because I wanted him to be seen. And that's what it does to you. you when you're desperate, you do desperate things. Um, there's no way that, in my right mind, I would have gone into the Child Health Centre and done that. Um, I looked a fool. Um, and then this blubbery mess walked out, you know, to, uh, back to work with the tears still there. Um, I looked an absolute idiot. There's no way I would have done that if this situation hadn't affected me. I was desperate and I needed help. And there's something in the manner that we approach God with that he delights in. There's something in that desperateness that that he actually loves. We see examples of that uh, in the Gospels, of the way that people shamelessly and, and boldly approach Jesus for help. One example is Blind Bartimaeus in Mark 10. He cries out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Uh, the crowd actually rebuked this guy, and they told him to be quiet. What did he do? He shouted all the louder. He shouted, son of David, have mercy on me. He wasn't going to be shut up. He was desperate uh, to have a touch from God, and he would stop at no measure. We've got another one here where uh, we've got Zacchaeus uh, in Luke 19. This is a, a tax collector, someone who people... Uh, kind of looked down on and uh, was put to a side. And he was a short guy and he wouldn't have been able to see over the crowd in order to see Jesus. But so desperate was he to see Jesus that he climbed up a tree to get a glimpse of Jesus. As Jesus passes by, he sees what Zacchaeus has gone to and he calls for him to come down and he goes and eats with him. Another one we've got is uh, the woman in Mark 5 who's been bleeding for uh, 12 years. She's gone to doctor's. Um, and they've not been able to help her. And she pushes through the large crowds to get near to Jesus and just to touch his cloak. Instantly, she's healed. There's something in this desperateness that Jesus delights in. All of these people were in desperate situations, and they knew that Jesus was the one that they needed to go to. He was the one who could resolve their need, And they didn't care what people thought of them. They approached Jesus with a determination and an outrageous confidence and asked him for help. Their determination came from being affected by their need, and knowing who it was that they were approaching. They approached him because they had a need. It was the daily bread situation. And when we're in need, it affects our emotions. Just so I was sharing about Judah, it affected me. I can't say that I've had a, a moment quite like that before. Um, these guys were in despair and they knew that Jesus was the only one who could help them. So they came boldly, boldly and unreservedly to him for help. I want to ask us, do, do we let ourselves get into that situation? Do we let ourselves be affected by the seriousness of the situation in front of us? Um, I know myself, I've been too British at times. Um, I know that I've perhaps sat at home not wanting to show really what's going on because I've been scared of of how that will be viewed. I've not wanted to to plead because that's not a British thing to do. But actually, if we're in need, we need to get help. It's useless staying there um, and being reserved about it. Um, If you were gasping for water, you wouldn't just wait in a corner. You'd go and do something about it. We've got one here who's able to come and help us. Jesus encourages us to be like the man in the story who's persistent in his request. Many of you know that um, flu is barren and that we've been trying for children for eight years. Um, and actually, a lot of you walked that journey with us through the, the highs and the lows of that. Um, there were points where we, we just kind of gave up hope, to be honest, but actually you guys stayed with us and you, you really helped us through it. Um, I did say it was going to get a bit raw, sorry guys. <laughs> um, time after time we'd do the pregnancy tests and there'd be... Sorry, <laughs> I don't know why I did this. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Uh, we'd do the pregnancy test, waiting, hoping that the lines would, would appear on me, but they didn't. Each time we dared to believe that something would change, but it didn't. We had ups and downs, and we were at point of despair. Our emotions were raw. As you can see, it still affects me to think back to those times time after time, you stayed with us and you prayed for us. At those points, fresh faith was renewed in us and last January, um, Flew went to the doctor feeling unwell. To her surprise, the GP told her to go away and do a pregnancy test because all the symptoms that she was experiencing pointed to pregnancy. Uh, If I'm honest... When Fleur told me that, I didn't know what to to make. I didn't know what to do. Um, I didn't want to get my hopes up. I really didn't. Um, Fleur did the pregnancy test, and such was the lack of faith that we had at that point, that actually we just kind of left it on the side. We didn't really look at it with hope. We just thought it was going to be another one of those blank ones. Um, But then we looked at it, and there was a second line. Um, Flew was pregnant. <laughs> um, and on that Sunday that we came here and that we shared with you that news that Flew was pregnant, um, you guys erupted. <laughs> um, and it was because of the journey that you guys had walked with us. You had been a persistent in your prayers with us. Um, one of my lasting memories of that Sunday will be Denzel. Um, Denzel was sat on the second row where he's now and he was crying uh, when, he, when he heard that news. I went over to talk to him and he hugged me and he told me that he would now have to change what he prays for me every morning. And that just hit me that he was a man who persevered day in, day out for me. Um, Denzel and Dorothy knew us from uh, right at the start of this church. Um, they were here right at the beginning and they prayed for us for years. Um, that is persistence. Denzel and Dorothy, and many of you, many others of you, prayed for us, and I will always appreciate that. Um, I have to say that Denzel and Dorothy are a wonderful example to us. Um, they are people who do persist in prayer, um, and I know that there's uh, prayers that you have prayed for years and years and years that you haven't yet seen the fulfilment of, but it doesn't stop you praying. You still believe God. And I find you a wonderful example of persistent prayer. What happens, you see, is that they know who God is. They know the one that they're approaching. They see the desperateness of the situation in front of them. And they see that there's this great God who can help them. Another example of this recently was you, Nigel. (laughs) Um... We'd gathered on a Sunday night to to pray for Judah. And later in the week, Nigel and Callie came to our house. And uh, as they were leaving, they prayed for Judah. And you spoke to Judah and you said, we will not give up praying for you. And I knew that you actually, um, you weren't just saying that, but it was actually something that was true. I believed you. And that's persistent prayer. This is determination to not give up in praying despite the circumstances, despite what you see in front of you, have the determination to pray for something. So why does Jesus want us to pray like this? Actually, I want to suggest that that it's because we've truly understood the desperateness of our situation. Um, We've acknowledged that we can't rectify or change it ourselves. It's almost like Abraham and and Sarah. Um, Abraham says that he faced the facts. And then he believed God. There's something in realizing that you are dependent on Him. Um, you see, this. Some people might say that, that this persistence thing um, shows something in terms of their works, that because of their persistence, God heals them or God's works. I don't believe that. I think it's because we realize that we're helpless, um, we're driven. To extraordinary measures because we realize that we can't do anything in our own strength and we realize that we need our God. Um, we are completely helpless, but we have got one who is able. We get into situations where it looks hopeless. Uh, in this situation, he, he needs bread and he's got none. Can't just magic it, he needs some right now. So he turns to one that he knows can change a situation. With us, we, we seek God, and we seek for him to turn our situation around. God delights in us, and he delights in, seeking, in us seeking him. The persistence and the shamelessness of approach comes from knowing who it is that you're approaching. Yes. I want to suggest that um, no matter how hopeless your situation is, you wouldn't go like this to a random person in the street what you would do is that you would go like this to one who you knew was able to help you. We've got a God who is able and we can approach him with confidence. The question comes then, um, what about what Jesus says straight after this? He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives and the one who seeks, finds And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Can we have anything we want then? Can we just pray? Can we seek? Can we ask? Can we knock? And God will just go, boop, there's your Ferrari. Um, Or your iPhone 5, whatever you fancy. I want to suggest that actually we're looking at daily bread here. Oh, iPhone 6 now, is it? It's a daily bread situation we're looking at here. iPhone 6 is not. A daily bread situation, um, even to a harman. (laughs) (laughs) Many Christians, um, clearly not. Um, Many Christians, even as uh, as I've been going through this and talking about a God who is able um, and talking about how we ask, he cannot, might be saying, well, I've not seen God working in my situation or I've not seen God work in my circumstance. I've not seen him answer me. When Terry Hotchkiss was with us on Wednesday, he said that we need to stop bringing God's word down to our experience. And instead, we need to raise our expectation to what God's word says. I just want to repeat that because it's quite a subtle change in words. We need to stop bringing God's word down to our experience. Instead, we need to raise our expectation to what God's word says. In order for us to understand God's word here, we need to look at at the passage as a whole. We need to understand what what God is saying here because our experience should be shaped by the word of God, not the other way around. Jesus says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? If he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I know that uh, in the future when Judah comes to me and he asks for something, I'm not really going to give him a snake if he comes and asks for for something good. Um, April Fool's Day, I might consider doing something, but I'm not going to do anything (laughs) that's going to cause emotional harming. Um, What we've got is that Jesus is telling us to come and be persistent, to come and continually present our requests to him, and he'll fill us with his spirit. We see that actually the fulfillment of asking, seeking, knocking is about being given the Holy Spirit. I have to say that with, with uh, our journey in terms of with Judah, that actually there were times that we approached God and he didn't instantly answer. I mean, you know that, eight years. Um, and I have to say that even if God never answered that prayer, actually God changed us in the midst of it. As we went to God and as we presented our request to him desperately, Actually, God changed us instead. God poured out his Spirit, and that's what he's saying here, is that as we go to him, he will give us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and strengthens us. He encourages us. He leads us. He guides us. He teaches us how to pray. He empowers us. So now do we see why, when we go to him, he fills us with the Spirit. When we're desperate, he comes and he fills us. got to say that I've learnt so much over the past few months um, with a situation with Judah. Um, I've learnt about what it means to be desperate for the Spirit. Um, I've tended to be someone who kind of just kind of gets on with it and keeps on pushing on no matter what's going on around me and just kind of do what I've got to do. But I just got to a point where I realised I couldn't do that in my own strength any longer. Um, I was shattered. I couldn't couldn't do this. Um, But I can with God. And that's what happens. As we come to him desperate, he fills us with the Spirit. He renews us. He lifts our heads. He changes our outlook on the situation. No longer are we in this situation, which looks hopeless. Instead, we're lifted to see this God who is able to change all things. Hope is restored. We see things from a completely different perspective. There's a final thing that struck me about the man's request here. Um, He comes to his friend to ask him for help to feed others. He didn't just rock up at his friend's house in order to ask for a piece of bread for himself that night. It was that people had come to his house, and they were guests, and he wanted to feed them. And it got me thinking about how desperate I am for God to fill me to help other people. When we see... um, the early church, what they did, and the, the transformation in them as they encountered the Holy Spirit, I think we've got much to learn about being filled with the Spirit. Um, again, I confess that um, during the time of what we call... Um, it was the Toronto thing, wasn't it? What do we call it? Um, during that sort of time, when uh, during the 90s, when uh, people were being filled with the, the Spirit and there was manifestations going on, um, actually, I've got to admit, there were times where I would just go and be filled with the Spirit, just have a, that moment. It was about me. But I think that that was a wrong view that I had. When we look at people being filled with the Spirit, actually God works in us so that he changes us and then he fills us so we can affect other people. We see in the early church that um, the church was equipped to go and preach the gospel. Being filled with the Spirit isn't just about us, it's so that it can change us to go and share the gospel with other people. So I want to try and bring this whole thing together then, uh, because I want to give some time to praying for some people. We've seen that um, there was a man who came to his friends when he was in a time of need. And he came to him because he trusted in the relationship that he had with his friends. He had a need and he knew one who could change the situation for him. Today... We can come to the one who is able to change our situation for us. We just have to come to him. Have confidence in the one that you approach. You're not coming as a stranger, you're coming to one who views you with favour. You can have confidence to come to him this morning. Come to him with urgency. Don't don't worry about the tears. I've just done those myself. (laughs) Um, Come with urgency. If you've got a situation affecting you, don't hold back. Don't think, I've got to put a face on this. I've got to appear as if everything's okay. I think that um, the British church is pretty rubbish when it comes to things like this. I think that when we turn up on a Sunday morning, how many of you, as you walked in this morning, someone said, how are you? And you went, all right, even when you're not all right. But that's what we do because it's polite and it's British. Don't be British. (laughs) Come to God. He wants to fill us with his spirit again. And again, there's an invitation this morning for him to come and to work in you. Come to him. He wants to eat with you and he wants to be with you. Don't be scared when you come to him. Um, What we didn't touch on is that bit about um, people coming and asking for things and being scared that they would receive a snake and things like that. Um, this passage, what follows on from it, is what Nigel brought last week about the divided kingdom. Some of you are scared of of coming to be filled with the Holy Spirit because you think you're going to open yourself up to something evil. Well, you're not. If you want to know more, then go back to Nigel's sermon last week. But actually, you're coming and asking God to fill you, and he's not going to give you a snake instead. He's going to fill you with the Spirit. He loves to give you good gifts. So this morning... I've got four responses, and I really don't know how this is going to go. It might just be one or two of you, or it might be a few of you. The first one is, if God is not yet your friend, then come and chat to me so that I can introduce you to him. Secondly, if you don't feel worthy to approach God as your friend, then I'd love to pray for you. Um, I'd love to pray for you that God changes that, that you see that you can approach him with confidence, that you can approach them as your friend. The third one is um, for those who have been persevering in prayer and they're feeling weary. Um, I know what that was like. Um, so if that's, if that's you, I think Nigel uh, touched on this a few weeks ago in a prayer meeting. But I just want to do that again on a Sunday where there's more people here as well. I want to pray for you that if that's you, that you've kind of given up hope and you feel weary. I want to pray that God would renew that hope in you. And finally, this is quite an open one, is I want to pray for you to be filled with the Spirit. If you're weary or if you just want to be filled again or you want to be filled for the first time, I want to pray for you this morning that he would come and fill you with the Spirit.